Our 10-part prospect series kicked off last week with a look at the future stars of an aging Anaheim core, a squad in Arizona trying to find their groove, and a Boston roster built for winning now. Our next three teams have their own challenges. Buffalo still trying to get better and finally get into the playoffs. Calgary's trying to do that consistently. Carolina has a lot of options that can help achieve short-term and long-term success, but only so few spots to fill them. Which prospect tools can get the job done and how soon can they reach the big leagues? Episode 213 of the Lace Month Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tuboff. And our prospect series continues with three more teams, Brett. Well, first off, I want to give an update on the uh, what's going on in the NHL quickly. Uh, just that the NHL is looking for neutral sites uh, that don't have too many coronavirus cases. Um, just so, like, because it's a similar vein to what the NBA is thinking of doing, is just having all the teams in one area where they can just have the playoffs. Um, and one of the places is in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, um, which is okay. exciting for me, a New Englander. And then there's another place in North Dakota where they could have um, they could have some games and stuff. So. Um, what they would need to do is they'd have to like test all these players and coaches and GMs and just get them all in one place, make sure no nobody else can go there. So that would be the sucky part, that there would be no fans, but um, at least we get to see something. Um, and then uh, they just play hockey um, in one location and like make sure no one leaves the area. So uh, that that's one... A- one option for them it could be kind of interesting but um and i doubt it actually happens but um i think that would be like the worst case scenario type situation other than i guess yeah honestly honestly it would be tough obviously for the fan bases of all the teams that you know where they play games on a regular basis but it'd be a weird tournament kind of like concept where like there's not too much travel everyone's just like in one particular location yeah for the most part like one conferences anyways and to, to put them in two locations that don't have nhl cities i'm just thinking at first oh you know that that you know that might actually be pretty good for places like new hampshire and north dakota that don't get exposed to nhl hockey and not yeah. only are they getting exposed to nhl hockey they're getting exposed to nhl playoff hockey right but then you mentioned the part of there being no fans and it's like oh okay yeah, yeah. So it doesn't really benefit them at all. Yeah, isn't there like a? I feel like there's a, like a tournament that hosts like teenagers somewhere. Like I think it's like a mall or something that's just only in one location. Um, anyway, it's one I day think. Well, I know. I know it's in, in Minnesota, they have the West Edmonton Mall. Yeah, and oh, it's a rink Edmonton, there, and they have this thing called the Brick Invitational, that's which what I was thinking isn't of, like yeah. teenagers, but but like. They're like eight, nine, ten-year-olds. Like uh, Stamkos as a kid played there. Martin Crosby, Jones as a kid played okay. there. Okay. Okay. So, so that's what that's I was what thinking, of. thinking of. Got it. I thought it was in Minnesota, 
but I guess it makes sense. Well, there could, it could be Minnesota. Yeah, I think Minnesota, though, it's pretty big on, like, their state championships as right, well. Like, right. it's pretty big there. But, like, I'm talking, like, young, young kids, like, novice Adam level. Uh, um, I'm, I know the Brick Invitational was a big thing in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, especially when yeah. you saw a lot of future NHLers take part. And right, I don't right. know if it's still going on today. It might be, but I know back in the day it definitely was. Okay. Well, anyways... Uh, now to real life, um, <laughs> um, where we're talking about, or relatively speaking, real life. Uh, so now we're talking about prospects here. We're going to start with the Sabres. And um, uh, so we, like last week, we're going to talk about their cap-friendly situation or their cap situation first, and then we're going to get into it. Um, I was actually just looking here. There's a lot of unrestricted free agents and restricted free agents that are going to be up this year for the Sabres. So a lot of positions will be available for the Sabres in the coming months. Um, so you have Wayne um, Wayne Simmons, Michael Froelich, Sam... Uh, sorry, Sam Reiner, it's RFA. Um, I'm just doing UFAs. Uh, so Wayne Simmons, Michael Froelich, Jimmy VC, Zemgis Gergensen, and Johan Larson are the only UFAs. But then for RFAs, you have Sam Reinhardt, uh, a revelation in Victor Olofsson, who's like, I think he's he was third in rookie scoring. Um, then you have, um, sorry, Dominic Cahoon, uh, Curtis Lazar, Brandon Montour, and Lawrence Pilot, and uh, Linus Ulmark are all RFAs. So the big ones are Sam Reinhardt, uh, Victor Olofsson and uh, Linus Allmark, but um, but yeah, there's still a lot of space for the Sabers, and of course, like a bit unfortunate, but like Jack Eichel, I mean, yeah, he he's making ten million for for a lot more years, um, but then you also have Jeff Skinner who had who had, didn't have a great season this year although he was injured for a time, um, making $9 million. Then you have Kyle Ocposo, um making $6 million, and he's not doing anything either. Then you have Marcus Johansson for $4.5 million. So it's like, yeah, they have a lot of cap space now, but it's also like a lot of, the, they still have a lot of bad contracts out there. Um, yeah. So anyways, we're going to start off with, uh, Dylan Cousins, who is by far their best prospect, um, he was drafted. Uh, sorry, uh, he was drafted seventh overall here um, last last year in the 2019 draft, um, and he continued with that. He uh, had 85 points in 51 games, 38 of those were goals, and then in the World Juniors, he had nine points in seven games. Um, and like just because I was reading there's the Sabres, you know, cap friendly page. I mean, we're gonna talk about Casey Middlestad in a second, but like um they need a second line center for a while now. I mean, I guess their best one is uh Marcus Johansson and he's not even really a center. Um, so I would suspect that we could see Dylan Cousins next year um on the team. Um, particularly because it's like the Sabres are kind of thin on prospects and they need Cousins to be good right away. Um, I mean, that that is obviously a risk that 
you're going to have and what they did to uh, Casey Middlestad and that kind of yeah. ruined him. And we'll talk about him in a second too. But like, I feel, I feel like they're going to rush him into it um, instead of sending him over to Rochester for a little while. Yeah, although I think the move to Rochester, just letting him play a full season out, is probably the better play. I yeah. kind of feel like Buffalo's going to do the Buffalo thing, and they're just right. like, we need to win now. We can't We can't waste more prime years, Michael and Skinner. Cousins, get in there. Right. Um, so, yeah, there is a chance, you know, they throw him into the fire right away, and we'll see what happens. Um, but um, the, if there's one thing that dylan cousins has on his side it's this unconventional road so it would kind of make sense if they just threw him right into this kind of environment um yes he's from canada but not too many people from the whitehorse yukon territory make the big leagues and that is because mostly um it's I don't know if it was, I would say it's like a remote location, but like Canada has like 10 provinces and three territories and these three territories, they're used to like the wintry conditions, not really known for civilization to, you know, the extent of like the big cities like Regina or Winnipeg even, and not too many people live there. Uh, if you play hockey, you might be playing in a league where you're playing against people and maybe you're like 13 years old play in like an age specific league it was just a culmination of everyone from like different backgrounds and different age groups so when it came time to like really take the pro level seriously he went to this place um try, uh trying to uh trying to just uh, decipher it today in my notes. Oh yeah, here it is. The Canadian Sports School Hockey League. He went to Yale Hockey Academy Prep. Um, this is a league founded in 2009. It's sanctioned based in Western Canada and the US. 86 teams are in this league. And he went to Yale Hockey Academy Prep, played 30 games there, did a decent job. Then he goes to Lethbridge Hurricanes just in time for their playoff run in 2017 and as a newcomer he chips in with three goals and five assists in 12 games pretty good for a rookie that's not really used to like playing in his age group so then the 2017-18 season rolls around the hurricanes were a 44 win team the year before they fall to 33 wins in dylan's full rookie season they add some veteran help to kind of aid their offense they also traded away a few pieces uh kaylin addison was starting to burst on their scene on the back end he's a solid prospect for the penguins right now uh, or, uh, wild. Actually yeah. they got to minnesota in the zucker yeah. trade i forgot about that thing um and if they weren't in the central division the lethbridge hurricanes missed the playoffs there was actually a playoff team that had more points than them that missed out because Lethbridge had the benefit, uh, the beneficiary of being in a weaker division, and they somehow got in. Um, but when they got in, they 
took a lot of teams by surprise, and Dylan Cousins was leading the way. Um, they won 10 playoff games in 2018, a trip to the conference finals. In those 16 games he played, Dylan Cousins finished with 13 points. On the season, he was a top three scorer for the Hurricanes. He uh, was fifth on the team in points with 53, also had eight power play goals. So again, a full season of WHL hockey in the books, trip to the conference finals, things are looking pretty good for Dylan Cousins. Then he really took a big stride in 2018-19. This was the year that led to him being selected by the Sabres. He took over a thousand draws in 68 games. The only guy who took more draws on Lethbridge was Jake Lesition, who had over 1,000 on his own after being traded out of Regina. On the season, he had almost 1,800 draws, and that was near the top of the league. So that just goes to show you um, how busy Jake Lesition was in the dot and how respectable Cousins' numbers were. Um, if you take a look at offense, 34 goals, near the league's top 20, third on the Hurricanes, also had 50 assists, so eight plus point season, pretty good. Um, also had uh, 27 power play points, um, so pretty respectable special teams guy. Only had 223 shots on goal, um, an improvement from the year before, but still I kind of feel like 223 is just a little bit low for Dylan Cousins, but you also have to keep in mind that they also had a lot of other depth guys like Jake Lesition, like Nick Henry, that were also playing big minutes, were also getting a lot of scoring opportunities. Uh, There's also this guy uh, named Jordan Bellarive, I believe, and uh, he also played a veteran offensive role too. So if Cousins was basically running the show by himself he could have had a lot more opportunities so all things considered it was a good year um and then you look to this year um where they lose a lot of their key offensive veteran guys but they're still good Kalen addison is still there um there are a couple of guys that also stepped up but dylan cousins again was still the guy there um he was really helping their power play um the penalty kill was a bit better he got eight power play goals again this year uh again he got 25 power play points um he also chipped in with four shorthanded goals uh one shy of 250 shots 38 goals in 51 games so his goals per game went up there 85 points so 80 plus uh, 80 plus point season again just an, another example of the potential that Dylan Cousins has. And he also, uh, I believe, appeared uh, for Team Canada in the World Juniors this past year uh, where they won uh, the gold medal. So um, Dylan Cousins has a bit of international experience. Um, as to where he falls in the depth chart, there are some other prospects like Casey Milstad that you mentioned that can play down the middle. Um, while the Sabres were hoping Marcus Johansson was going to be a solid second line center offensively, the numbers haven't shown that yet. Um, so you're, you're right, Brett, and sooner rather than later, Dylan Cousins, whether it's best for his development or not, could be with the Buffalo Sabres and he could stay there. Yeah, I mean, I think it just all depends on how good he is right away. I guess 
you would think the Sabres would learn from how they dealt with Middlestad or even someone like Alex Nylander, um, like that, oh, this is, you know, we shouldn't rush our players into the league right away. Um, but at the same time, it's like, the Sabres do need help right away in the top six specifically. So, um, yeah, it's basically Dylan's cousin's spot. Um, uh, um, anyways, so, but I, I think they could afford to keep him in the minors, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see how the Sabres do it if they are in a rush to win right away. Um, I think I think his time in the WHL is done. I yeah. think he's done everything he can over there. Right. And I think if he plays anywhere else but the Sabres, it's in Rochester. And I think that's probably the best step for his development. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm, a, I'm in agreement with that. I guess, like, on the other hand, it's like, you know, you look at Kirby Dock, um, who yeah. uh, was also drafted in the same uh, year as Cousins in the top ten as well. Um, and he's played, um, you know, like a top six role for the Blackhawks. And he's been decent at times, too. So, um, you know, maybe it'll be something like that if, if you use that comparable. Yeah, the, fa- the, the thing with uh, between Kirby Doc and Dylan Cousins, and this is no disrespect to Jack Eichel or anyone on the Sabres, the Chicago Blackhawks still have guys on there that have won the Stanley Cup before. And they've won it multiple times. So I think Kirby Doc is in a better position than Dylan Cousins because he knows who to lean on for advice because there are a lot of those guys like Duncan Keith and Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane that have been there, done that, know what it takes to win the Stanley Cup, have won the Stanley Cup and done it multiple times, where he can go into the NHL and afford to like make mistakes because he knows that there are guys on that team that kind of know what to do, what to expect in those kind of situations. They can just help run them through it. The Buffalo Sabres, as I mentioned many times, are learning all at the same time. They don't really have any proven winning veterans to kind of like lean on. So it's a bit tougher for someone like Dylan Cousins maybe to like go into the fire right away and just learn on the fly and make mistakes and then learn from that because everyone's learning along with them. Yeah, I guess I could see what you mean. But on the other hand, it's like Jack Eichel's still been in the league for quite some time. Uh, oh, yeah. Same with, like, Sam Reinhardt. Uh, you know, like, yeah, they they are. Sam Reinhardt's 24 years old. Eichel's 23 years old. Um, but you could still learn from those two. Like, it's not necessarily just because Jonathan Taze has won three cups. That means that... Um, you know, that it makes sense for that. I, I still would lean towards, um, I, I don't know. I think you could at least rush him. Like, uh, like the same instance could be said for like Adam Fox. He skipped the minors entirely as well. Um, and he's, he's been pretty good too. Um, I mean, obviously it's a different position and another team entirely, but he skipped the minors and, um, has become a pretty good defenseman right away. Um, I also I also think it would benefit Dylan Cousins if he got like more opportunities to succeed and win um, at yeah. the pro level because you know he, he's had a bit of, uh, a couple of tastes of success in Lethbridge in the playoffs, but right. 
that's the thing that Buffalo hasn't had. For forget like making the playoffs. When's the last time they've won a playoff series, right? Right. So you kind of want to build that winning environment. And when you're in those kind of like tough ruts where Buffalo, the past two years in a row, they've started off red hot and they just hit a wall towards the midway point and they never recover. You need guys that in those situations, when you hit a wall, you're just like, okay, here's how we came back from in the minors. And this is how we were able to take that next step in the playoffs. Rochester has a pretty good AHL team. It would be nice if Dylan Cousins got to experience a winning atmosphere in Rochester before going into the cauldron in Buffalo and expect to deliver a playoff appearance and someday a championship. Yeah, I guess so. I like, but like another example uh, could be Brady Kachuk. Uh, He skipped the minors entirely. He's been good right away too. So um, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like, I mean, obviously I would, I think you would rather put them in the minors before, but I could also see him like being good right away as well. So that's just something I think about. Um, all right. So our next, uh, the next two are actually the two Sabres goalies at the moment that are of the future. Uh, just to remind you guys. So Linus Olmark is an RFA next year. Um, he's been okay, um, but then and then you have Carter Hutton who hasn't been that good, um, and he's going to be a UFA in two years. Um, so the uh, the like there isn't really neither one seems to be the goalie of the future. Um, I mean, I guess Olmark has would be the most likely to be there, but uh, the Sabers have two goalies who have been decent um, in their you know in the minors. Uh, so you have one who's Uko Pekka Lukanen. Um, he was uh, selected in the second round in the 2017 draft because um, he did really well in the uh, La Liga um, or in the Finnish league for a bit. And then he went to the Sudbury Wolves last year where in 53 games he had a 920 save percentage and a 2.5 GAA. Um, and then he moved to, uh, then the next year he went to the ECHL for the Cincinnati Cyclones where he played 23 games, uh, and he had a save percentage of 9.12 and a 2.24 GAA, which isn't, um, great, but isn't terrible either. Um, and then, uh, and then Jonas Johansson, who had been playing well for the Rochester Americans, uh, he got called up for a bit, um, and then... Uko uh, played in the AHL for the Rochester, um, and in 10 games, he had an 874 save percentage and a 3.15 GAA. So that's a little bit uh, scary, but of course, that's only 10 games. It's hard to really predict how he's going to be in 10 games, um, but so far, he hasn't been great in the AHL, um, which is something that could be kind of concerning, but I would imagine he'll be a weight, uh, a weight either way um, in time. Yeah, I am definitely willing to give Uko Pekka Lukanen the benefit of the doubt. Um, and before I talk about just how great he was with the Sudbury Wolves, I don't know if you remember this, Brad. Remember in Buffalo, New York, 2018 World Juniors? Um, this was after Finland did so bad, they almost got relegated. 
and because they were in that relegation zone, um, their locker room was in a building adjacent to the Key Bank Center. So they had to walk slash take an escalator to get to the Key Bank Center from their locker room. And there's this visual of this goalie riding the escalator. Remember that? Yeah, sort of. I mean, that really. was Kopeka Lukanen. Okay. Yeah, that guy. And before that, he was drafted by the Buffalo Sabres. So he doesn't have to take an escalator to get to um, play for the Sabres. But if there's one thing the Sabres need, it's good, consistent goaltending. And one particular goaltender doing it every single time. They were spoiled with Hashik in the 90s, with Miller in the 2000s as well. Um, and since Ryan Miller's prime years, they've really struggled to find that goalie of the future. Didn't happen with Jonas Enroth, didn't happen with Robin Leonard, uh, didn't happen, it seems, with Carter Hutton and Linus Olmark. It's a mystery if um, he can be the guy as well. Um, I take Uko Pekka Lukanen's numbers with the Sudbury Wolves and I compare it to the Sudbury Wolves before he got there. If you don't follow the OHL, what you need to know is since 2014-15, between the time Uko in 2014-15, Sudbury was a mess. They won to 2014-15, gave up 323 goals. Defense, goaltending, not present, had a rough year. The next year, they get 16 wins, still give up over 320 goals, 328 that season. The next year, they make the playoffs and record 27 wins, but their goal differential was still in the negative, still below 500 team. The next year, 17 wins give up 291 goals over those four years defense and goaltending were tough to come by and then uko pekka lukanen comes in and he is jo uh, eventually joined by like five other goalies there were five other goalies that played the same year that uko pekka did in 2018-19 with sudbury and those guys whenever they started the team was below 500 their combined GA was around three to four. Sudbury didn't do well. And when they put Uko Pekka Lukanen in the net, Sudbury won a lot of games. And Uko Pekka's numbers were among the league's best. Third best GAA in the OHL, Mike DiPietro led the league um, in GAA. His counterpart, uh, Cedric Andre, also at the 67s, was right behind him. Uko Pekka was third. 920 C% best in the OHL. Um, one of four goalies in the OHL to record more than 3,000 minutes. Faced the seventh most shots, made the sixth most saves. And the only other goalie who matched his win total was Stephen Dillon of the Niagara Ice Dogs. He had a GAA of 2.97 and a save percentage of 909. So Lukanen was pretty good in the regular season. They go to the playoffs. Sudbury wins their first round series. They fall to the 67s in a sweep in round two. And he looked pretty human the first three games. But that final game of the series, it went to three overtimes. 
He was engaged in a serious goaltending duel with Mike DiPietro, and Uko Pekka stopped 60 of 63 shots in a 3-2 overtime loss, in three overtimes. By far and away, one of the best performances in that league. And if you don't think he can win in those big games, he won World Juniors with Finland. He was arguably the reason why they won. In six games, he had a 1.8 GAA, 9.32 save percentage. So, yeah, he didn't do well in the AHL. I get why people might overreact at the start, and they're just like, oh, he's supposed to be good, but he's not good. What's happening? Give it time. In a couple of years, if the numbers haven't improved, okay, maybe I'm a bit concerned. Until then, I think he's going to figure things out, and the Sabres are going to be really impressed with this guy when they see him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess especially for prospect goalies, you should like give him a lot of time. Um, so, and also, you can't really judge a player after ten games, really, good or bad. So, I, I will give him the benefit of the doubt, the doubt there, but. It is a little concerning at the same time. I don't know. Um, he's all, he's also got a pretty big size frame. I don't know if you noticed, but yeah. Johansson, Olmark, Uko Pekka, all of them are like 6'3", 6'4", goalies. Yeah. And Good his point. mobility is pretty strong too, so that definitely helps. So our next guy is going to be uh, Jonas Johansson, um, mostly because he, uh, he played really well for the Rochester Americans. Um, in 22 games, uh, he had a 2.28 GAA and a save percentage of 9.21. Um, and then when he was called up uh, to Buffalo uh, for a time for six games, he had a 2.94 GAA and an 8.94 save percentage. Now, obviously, you want to have like above 900 save percentage, but having a 2.94 GAA isn't bad either. Um, so that's it's a little promising there. Maybe it's something like if Olmark um, isn't good or, um, you know, isn't doing it right away or something, um, you could like have like a tandem situation between both of them, uh, Johansson and Olmark or Johansson and uh, Carter Hutton, whichever one's hotter at the moment. Um, And then uh, last year, um we get to he was actually decent for the cincinnati cyclones the echl team um where in 27 games he had 2.6 gaa and a save percentage of 908 um and then in the hl when he was called up to rochester in five games he had 2.26 gaa and a save percentage of 926 of course that's a small sample size um, and then the year before that for the ECHL, he had in 27 games, um, he had a 3.13 GAA and a 909 save percentage there. So that's kind of just proof that like you can improve um, over time, especially for goalies. Um, the thing that's weird for ECHL, and I've noticed this for Gopeka as well, is that like it's tough to really tell how good they're going to be in the AHL versus um, when they're in, just judging by their ECHL numbers, uh, just because it's a weaker league. Um, but it seems like he's been really good for the AHL the last two years. Um, 
and that's something that could continue or you know maybe they um they waited out some more because uh, it seems like J johansson's one of those guys who just needs more time to develop um it, rather than just putting him in the nhl right away yeah kind of one of those guys where like you you know after like a year of just like getting used to the pace and and just like the level of play really gets his footing and starts yeah. to excel a little bit and yeah it could be the case in the a in the nhl um he made his first six nhl starts gaa was near three save percentage under 900 uh went one three and one during those five decisions over a span of a month and again the sabers team defense has been an issue so i cut him a bit of slack there what i see in the ahl this year is the sixth best GAA in the league amongst qualified goalies, 2.28, that's pretty good. Seventh best save percentage at 921. Um, only facing an average of 24.4 shots per game, that definitely uh, helps him. Um, but what's it gonna be like when he's averaging 30 shots a night? Because yeah. the Sabres right now are middle of the pack in the NHL when it comes to shots against per game, but their average, I think, is like 31.1, around the same as Montreal's. And um, team defense for both of those teams has been a bit of an issue in previous years, um, to the point where Carey Price kind of has a tough time of figuring out how to stop the puck with the Habs lately. So um, the challenge for Johansson is going to be making strides at all levels and also establishing himself as the guy with nobody there to back him up because right now andrew hammond is the rochester americans starter he's providing stability in the crease he's been the veteran presence he's been in the ncaa with bowling green he's been in the ahl on and off he's been in the nhl for a little bit he was a part of that massive run with the ottawa senators in 2014-15 when he really got in a role he's been through it all and when it's time for Johansson to be the guy, how does he perform? Can he come up with those big saves? Can he stand on his head and steal a game? That's going to be part of the questions that a lot of people are going to have about this kid as he continues to develop. Right now, he's still trying to find his footing a little bit. Um, it's going to be interesting in about a year or two where he is. Yeah, I, I think it's he's like a long-term project type player, I feel like. Um, yeah. But uh, he could be good in a couple of years, maybe as a tandem, which is what I was getting at beforehand. Yeah. So, something like that. All right, uh, and then we have another one who's also a bit of a project, a long-term project too, but he's been, he, he's been doing pretty well in the uh, Finnish League. This is, now I'm going to butcher this name, but uh, R2 Ruet. Stalinen. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. Rustalainen? Rustalainen. Um, anyways, uh, he's been, uh, so he's been in the Finnish league, Liga, for the last, uh, five years. Um, and this was the year, uh, this year, this past year was when he really took off. Um, he had 43 points in 44 games for Ives. Um, in the Liga team. Um, last, the year before that, he had 42 points in 59 games, so that's not bad. Um, 
but I, I seem to remember that it is like the scoring is pretty low in the fin- in Liga. Um, so like the fact that he was almost a point per game is pretty impressive. Um, some other things to note, uh, he's 5'9 and 181 pounds, um, which is, uh, sorry, 5'8. Uh, did I say 5'9? Yeah, he's 5'8 here um, and 181 pounds. So he's pretty light and pretty short. But, I mean, that doesn't stop you. And I mean, it's probably a big reason why he hasn't even, um, he was unsigned until last year in 2019. Um, he's also 22 years old. So he could be like one of those players who just plays in the international league for a time and then um, is like a late bloomer of sorts and like comes into the league when he's, I don't know, 26 years old or 27 years old and just shines through um, right away or something. But I'd imagine if he is going to go over to the States, he'll go to Rochester, uh, he'll play a couple of seasons there, and then we'll see him um, in the pros. But it is impressive that he's been pretty good in Liga um, for now. So uh, yeah, what, what is your thoughts on R2 Ruwet's line in? Yeah, like you said, took him a bit of time to like really find his footing. His first couple of years in the Liga weren't great. They were okay, but they weren't great. Uh, it wasn't until 2018-19, uh, the year that led to his contract with the Sabres, where he really elevated his game. That was his fourth season. 21 goals and 21 assists for 42 points in 59 games. Um, in seven playoff games, he had another two goals and five assists. Um, if you take a look at where he ranked in the league overall that season. Um, He was ahead of names like Alexander Testier, a solid rookie prospect for the Jackets, Capo Caco, who was the top three NHL pick, Rasmus Kupari, a Canucks prospect as well. Um, Top 20 scorer in the league, one goal behind Capo Caco, pretty decent year. This year, as you mentioned, really took off. just under a point per game pace. He sits ninth in points per game in the league with 0.98. Um, he finished 18th in scoring with 43 points, but a lot of the guys ahead of him played in more games than he did. So if he actually played the full season, probably could have had the numbers that Pugliarvi had. And Pugliarvi was fourth in league of scoring with 53 points. So I would say a pretty respectable campaign there. The test for him now is, as we've mentioned with other European players that have played most of their hockey in Europe, the next test is playing on North American soil, getting used to that North American game. He hasn't done that so far. Um, And I would expect at least a full season in Rochester before the Sabres give him a really serious look at making the roster. You never know with a good training camp, obviously, but I think for the sake of his development, playing one year at least in the AHL would be great for his development. By 2022 or 2023, I don't expect him to be a core member, but if he plays his cards right, I expect him to be on everyone's radar and at some point challenging for a spot. Yeah, he's he's definitely, I mean, I know the premise of this whole episode is to like kind of project where these different projects will be in three years. Um, and I don't know if he'll be on the team in three years, but I could see him being on the team in five years, um, something like that and actually making a difference. 
in that five years, not necessarily in three years. Yeah, and, and of course, we also don't know what the prospects um, are going to be after this year when the Sabres True. have drafted uh, more talent yep. and presumably another top 10 pick the way they're going. Right. Um, and even the year after, what how they do and how they finish in the season yeah. and what that means for their draft in 2021. So, yeah. I um, mean, it'll be interesting times in Buffalo for sure. And they'll have a lot of good talent to choose from. So, it'll be a, a healthy competition, I would hope. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, that's something to always consider is the fact that, you know, all these teams are going to be picking um, <laughs> some some player in the first round. Um, in 2020, so that's also something to consider, especially for Buffalo, when they'll likely get a top 10 pick, um, or guaranteed a top 10 pick. Um, yeah, the, the good news is there's also Seattle coming into the fold, so even if it doesn't work out in true. Buffalo for this guy, it could work somewhere else. That's also another thing to consider that I haven't thought of beforehand, so... Um, all right, and then lastly, we're gonna we kind of bend it. Speaking of weird things that we <laughs> haven't thought about, uh, we're kind of bending the rules here. Um, the cool thing about making this whole thing is we make our own rules here. Uh, so I know how we said that we only included players who were um, who had played less than forty games in the NHL. Um, so Casey Middlestad we're about to talk about uh he's played 100 games um or so in the nhl um but since he did play a lot of uh he played 36 games in the ahl this year they sent him down in like december i want to say maybe november um and uh he and i and i was just looking at all the other buffalo sabers prospects and i couldn't really see uh, any other players that were worth talking about um, so I figured, all right, let's just, let's talk about Casey Middlestad as our last prospect here. Um, and especially since that I could see him maybe making a bounce back season because we, when we talked about Dylan Cousins, they kind of, you know, for Casey Middlestad, he had this like unbelievable season for the Minnesota Gophers, um, in the college, in college hockey he had 30 points in 34 games. I think he was like a Hobie Baker nomination and all that stuff. And he looked unreal. He played really well in the World Juniors as well. He had 11 points in seven games. And then mm. he even went to, uh, he played for Buffalo for the last six games. Um, and he had five points. So it looked like he was ready and didn't need to go to Rochester after that. Um, but then the next year... He had a slow burn. He had um, he had only 25 points in 77 games, um, and but you should keep in mind that he was on like the fourth line and third line during that time for whatever reason. Um, yeah, he had a uh, 13 minutes of ice time on average in those 77 games last year, um, and then uh, and then the year after that, or that's this year. Um, in 31 games, he only had nine points. And again, he only played 12 minutes of ice time, um, in those, in those, uh, games. But like, I do remember, like, I think it was like some, it was a game in like October or one of the first games for the Sabres. Um, like Middlestead had like 
two points or like two goals or three goals and one assist or something like that and I was like I remember thinking because I had him in one of my leagues like oh Casey Middlestad might actually take off this year but then he kind of just fell off after that and uh, we hadn't saw him we didn't see him that much um, and then he was just sent down uh, to Rochester uh, I forget the exact day but we're gonna say November um, because it was after 30 games. So maybe that is December, middle of December, I guess. Um, he goes to Rochester, um, and he actually played pretty well. Um, he has nine goals, 16 assists. So that's 25 points in 36 games. Um, of course, he's, like, I guess the, the big question mark and probably a big reason why he doesn't have a ton of ice time um, was because of his, like, his defensive skills. Um, you know, he had a minus five in the pros this year. He had a minus 19 the year before that. But then there comes a point where you think about, like, how the Sabres don't really have a ton of great forward options other than Eichel, Reinhardt, and Olufsen, um, and Skinner, I guess. Um, so it's like, you could definitely make room for Middlestad and see what he can t do. Just like if you're going to call him up and someone who is hyped as much as he is, he should be up on like the top six lines uh, just to see what he can do. So they are finally making the right decision and putting him down for the AHL to get him some seasoning and something they should have done a long time ago. But, um, I just hope it doesn't like ruin him um, already because I'm sure his confidence is shot already. And um, But if he can make it, I, I still do have hope for him to come back and be useful for the Sabres. Um, but I think you should definitely temper your expectations because he is still 21 years old. Uh, uh, and it's not like he... He doesn't have any talent whatsoever. He's still, like, we know he's pretty good. Um, I just, you know, I don't know. I think he just needs some more seasoning in the AHL. Um, as for the next three years, I think we could see him in the lineup next year um, for sure, and it, it all depends on that. But he is a big, like, question mark because he could be a bust for them or he could be, like, and um, actually pretty good for them at the same time. So um, I could see it going either way. Yeah, honestly, we, we've mentioned it many times in the podcast, Brad. It seems like the Buffalo Sabres are the Eastern Conference's Edmonton Oilers, yeah. where top 10 pick after top 10 pick, they get a superstar talent in Jack Eichel. Still bad, still can't find a way to make the playoffs, even if they start off the season scorching hot one of the top 10 teams in the league it doesn't matter they're still gonna miss the playoffs somehow their team defense has been a question mark even with jack eichel at his best it just doesn't seem to work out for them and the last thing they want casey millstad to become is their version of jesse pulley <laughs> you know a guy that had so much potential and is suddenly on the outside looking in now obviously pulley is a different situation he Right. is kind of tired of Edmonton. Milstad hasn't given up on the Sabres. The Sabres haven't given up on him. 
but you, you kind of feel like the clock is already ticking on the guy, which is unfortunate because he's still a pretty young player. Like, this is a guy at the 2018 World Juniors, was tied in tournament scoring with 11 points. The only guy who was able to equal his toll was Martin Nakash, a uh, prospect for the Hurricanes and starting to turn into a roster player for them. Um, he was an all-star team member on that World Juniors. He was tournament MVP of that World Juniors, a top three player on his team. He was the best forward in that tournament. And after all of that, this is what he's become in the past year or two. I, I just don't buy it. Like there is potential. The talent is there for him to like really light on fire. And I think he needs to become the guy again. He needs to be in that environment where he's a top three player on the team. Like you take a look at his season with the Minnesota Golden Gophers in NCAA hockey, played 34 games with them got 11 goals and 19 assists for a total of 30 points. Top 100 scorer in NCAA hockey. But, you know, in that one season he played, he was, you know, probably labeled as just another guy. Like, oh, he's, you know, he's a pretty good player. But, right. you know, like, look at the point totals of some of the other guys that played that had more points than him. So right. um, I, I think having more consistent time in the AHL is going to be crucial for his development before they bring him back up because it's all about confidence. Yep. I feel like with a lot of these all-star players and there are times, you know, even when Jack Eichel is playing at his best after the game, he looks pissed because his team lost, right. you know, he wants to win. He wants to have fun and it's easier to have fun when you're winning. So I think, being put into that winning environment, being a top three player on the Americans would be great for Casey Middlestad. I think the the Sabres really need to time it. The next time they bring him up, they need to really make sure that he's in the right frame of mind. Because um, if he's not in the right frame of mind, I don't think he's going to be the player that they want. Of course, defensive skills are going to be a must. But that that's something you can, you can teach with a little bit of time, a little bit of patience, a lot of practice. The joy has to be there, though, yeah. and it's easier to have a pep in your step, in your stride on the ice when you're winning games and putting up points. And I think the more exposure he has to putting up points and winning games, I think uh, Casey's going to be better off for it, and the Sabres will too. Yeah, I I think you're right. There is some like I think it's more of an attitude thing, and it it looks like he's. You, I mean, so far he's doing pretty well in Rochester. I was just looking at the Rochester stats here. Um, so the leading scorer for the Rochester Americans was uh, was John Sebastian Day, um, mm. and he had 39 points in 57 games, and Casey Middlestad. Um, who only played 36 games, so 20 less games than John Sebastian Day. Um, he had 25 points, so about. Uh, so I think he has. I have. I haven't done the math, but I would imagine he had the highest points per game out of anyone in Rochester. Um, so that's pretty good. And I would imagine if Casey Middlestead had played 57 games in Rochester, he would have more more points there. Um, mm. So. That, that's basically my point. Um, but so it looks like he's doing well in Rochester. Um, and so that could help his confidence. And, you know, you just have to think, especially for someone this young, uh, he's only 21 years old. There's still room for him to grow. Um, so it's, it's like, you know, you like to think that like B 
because he didn't do so well right away. Um, he's not going to be good um, in a couple of years. And maybe he's not going to be what we all thought he was when he was drafted there um, and what we saw out of him in college. But I think there is still room for him to grow and, and be a legitimate player, kind of like uh, Dylan Strome. Um, was a couple of years ago. So, um, yeah, I think that could be a good comparable for him. Um, yeah, for sure. All right, let's go to Calgary now. Um, so their cap situation is kind of interesting because they have a lot of defensemen who are going to be UFAs this year um, and or next, I guess, this season. I've given up on this year. Um, and... Um, and a lot of forwards that are still have a lot of contracts left um, in the league. Uh, so the UFAs are Tobias Reeder, Zach Ronaldo. I didn't know he was still in the league. Um, and then for defensemen, you have TJ Brody, Travis Hamanick, Derek Forbert, Eric Gustafson, and Michael Stone. Uh, you also have Cam Talbot, who's going to be UFA next year. Um, and then the year after that, Oh, and then for RFAs, you have uh, Andrew Mangiapane, who's actually been decent, I remember, and Mark Jankowski as an RFA. Um, the interesting thing about the Flames and their prospect pool is that um, they have a couple of left wingers on this, on as like top prospects. And we know the Flames, their two best players are Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau, who are both left-wingers as well. So it is Although Kachuk, had, Kachuk has spent time on the right wing, I believe. I think sure. on daily face-off, he's listed as a right-winger okay. at the moment. So. Oh, okay. Well, on but, Cap but, Friendly... But even, even still, uh, even still your point stands, their, their top six is pretty good. Yeah, well, my point was more that, like, they have a lot of, like, Matthew Kachuk is still, like, a pretty good left winger. Because on Cap Friendly, they have him as a left winger here. Um, they don't even have him as a right winger. Um, but, uh, yeah, I do believe you that Jelly Faceoff probably has him at, oh, yeah, he's playing on the right wing sometimes, too. But anyways, like, it, it is interesting how they have so many left wingers. Um and we're about to talk about three of them, <laughs> so um, or two of them at least. Uh, so one of them is uh, their best prospect right now, uh, Jacob Peltier of the Moncton Wildcats in the QMJHL. Uh, he had 82 points in 57 games. Uh, 50 of those were assists, um, and 32 are goals, which isn't bad. Um, and the year before that, he had um, 89, uh, 89 points in 65 games for the Moxon Wildcats. Um, I guess he, he was drafted uh, 26 overall um, in 2019. Um, and you would think that like someone with those stats, you would think like, oh, he must be, he must have been like a top round 15 pick. But I'd imagine the big reason why that is, is because he's 5'9". Um, and 175 or 161 pounds. Um, however, of course, like when you look at like the Flames and Johnny Gaudreau in particular, uh, the Flames are used to having small forwards um, playing well for them. Um, so uh, he is pretty good. I just 
because of his size, I would imagine um, he'll take some time before he gets into the NHL. Um, and I would, I would, I could see him, you know, still being a legitimate player for them. Um, and because Matt, I could see like Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk are going to be on the team for who knows when, um, I could see them like he could, he's, there's still room for him to be on the top six line, even though he is a natural left winger. Like you mentioned, Matthew Kachuk was switched to the right wing. So maybe that's something they could do eventually do for Peltier. Um, I don't know if he could be a center per se, but um, that is uh, something that they could look into though. But uh, yeah, I could see it. Uh, I, I think that's the only, the two big question marks are just the fact that he is short or small um, and uh, his position um, in the lineup for the Calgary Flames. So I'm, I'm not sure how they're going to do that. Yeah, historically, the Moncton Wildcats have been a very good team in the Quebec Major Junior League. Um, a lot of great players have played for them. Keith Yandel, I think, had like 80-plus points one year. As Connor Garland, too. Right. Is pretty good, Connor Garland. And I believe your boy Brad Marshall also yep. played for them, too. Oh, I thought so, he played for Halifax, but he might be right. I mean, you know more yeah, than I. I do. think he is. I think he's from Halifax. I, oh, I, I thought he played. He okay, more. I'll look this up yeah. while you talk. <laughs> he played somewhere in the queue. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, Moncton wasn't used to losing, and before Peltier got there, um, they had a very bad season in 2016-17. They gave out 356 goals, only scored 170, only got 14 wins. Um, but then Peltier comes into the fold. They start to do better. Their power play improves. And uh, Peltier is a rookie, ranked third on the team with 23 goals, had 160 shots. Uh, that was tied for fourth on Moncton, 17 power play points as well. Pretty decent uh, rookie year that saw him score 61 points, and he led all Moncton rookies in that department. Um Round one of the playoffs, they go up against another team that improved drastically, the Ramuski Oceanique, and the guy leading that charge is the guy everyone expects to be drafted first overall this year, Alexis Lafreniere, as a rookie. He um, did a lot of damage in the queue, and um, back in those days, I can't, I can't recall if it's still the same now, but back then, the playoffs were a 1-16 to seed, where the first seed would face the 16th, the second would face the 15th, and so on. So Moncton was 14th, Ramuski was third. Ramuski was heavily favored to win this series. Yeah. And the Wildcats were down three games to two. They take game six, go to Ramuski, take game seven there. They upset the Oceanique. They would eventually fall in five games in round two, but they did better than a lot of people expected and Belchier chipped in with five points in those 10 games so a uh, pretty good rookie season for him um they were in a stacked eastern conference in 2018-19 the wildcats finished seventh but ninth out of 18 teams in the league overall their goal total went up again they had 38 wins um and Pelche continued his rise he played 65 games Chipped him with 39 goals and 50 assists. That's good for 89 points. He had nine power play goals, 18 assists with the extra man as well, 223 shots. Seventh in league scoring. Uh, hair outside the top 10 in goal scoring as well. Top 20 in shots on goal in the league as well. Ninth in assists. 
So a very good second year for Jacob Pelche. Um, this year, even better for the Wildcats. They had won 50 of 64 games before the season was suddenly halted. And uh, Jacob Pelche, once again, one of their best players. 32 goals, another 50 assist campaign, 82 points. Just shy of 200 shots on target. He finished with 98, got another six power play goals. Um, and didn't really take that many penalties in his QMJHL career. He had 16 penalty minutes in his third year, not too many the years before that. Never posted 25 penalty minutes in, his, in a single season at this level as well. And again, top 10 score in the league, uh, top 30 in shots, 13th in goals, 6th in assists. Could have done a lot more damage if the season was still going on today. Um, so I really like the upside. Um, he can play with a lot of the top players um, on his team, which is something that scouts shouldn't um, avert their eyes at. You know, if you can, if you can play with great players, you're definitely going to do well. I think when people evaluate good from great talents, they look at okay, can he carry a team by himself? And maybe that impacts where you have certain players in your draft board, right? You're looking for the guy that can do everything by himself. If you look for a guy that, okay, plays around good talents, I guess I'll take him. Yeah. Um, it it kind of clouds your judgment of just like how talented a guy is. But um, it's, it's going to be interesting where the flames slot him especially considering his frame five foot nine under 170 pounds that's pretty light and what's also interesting is that cap friendly has him listed as a center he had 133 face-offs oh. in his first year and in the final two years he didn't even take 133 face-offs combined so he's oh. likely going to be playing on the wings if they put him there and even on the right wing, they have Elias Lindholm on there. Yeah. So um, it's really going to be interesting where they slot him in. I definitely see him as a bottom six forward to start. And if he makes the most of his opportunities, um, it'll be interesting to see how he fits in from there. But with their top six being the way it is, in the next three to four years, I think Calgary's set. And maybe when Backlund leaves, uh, maybe they'll try him out at center or they'll switch things up and put him on the wing. Yeah. Um, it's it's a tough call there from a position standpoint. Yeah, I think that is a big concern for them. But, like, you know, you look at their lineup already or their top six right now, like Goudreau, Monaghan, Kachuk, and Lindholm are probably all safe, uh, relatively speaking. But then you have Backlund and Mangiapane, who are currently the second-line left wing and the uh, second-line center. You know, maybe there is a spot for him there, um, and you know there is the like both all the entire Calgary Flames team did ha struggle this year too. So um, there is something to think about where maybe they won't like there could be some shakeup in the coming years too. So um, that is something to think about. Mm -hmm. And if if there's one thing yeah. that really like there's one thing that really helped them like take that next step um a season ago 
And it was, well, for one, their top scores were their top scores, and Johnny Gaudreau was having the season of his life. Yeah. But also their depth scoring was on point. I don't think it's been as on point as many people expected as well. So I yeah. think that factors in. And if Pelche can improve that, you know, why not bring him in? Yeah. Um, and also, by the way, Brad Marchand, uh, he did play for the Moncton Wildcats for two seasons uh-huh. um, in the queue. Then he went to Valdor's for two yeah, I know seasons. he played for Valdor, yeah. Um, and then the last year uh, before he went to Providence, he uh, played for Halifax for 26 games. So he did play for the Mooseheads. Ah, okay. So he did for, play, he was a Moosehead. Right. He was a Moosehead for 26 games and 14 playoff games. Um, so, and, and he was in the World Juniors that year, too. Um, Halifax had a lot of great yeah. players in their history. Um, yeah, they have a ton of guys. Uh, Nathan McKinnon, <laughs> Nico Heischer, Philip Zadina. Jonathan Druin. Jonathan Druin. Um, anyways, um, all right, let's go to our next guy here. Um, uh, Dustin Wolf. This is another guy who's short and, uh, uh, small, uh, short and small, but he's a goalie. Um, and he was also drafted last year too. Um, he was, but he was drafted in the sixth round, and I would imagine his height and his size was also a big reason why he was drafted in the. Oh, sorry, in the seventh round um, of last year. But um, he played for the Everett Sil- Silver Tips, which is where Carter Hart also played, um, yep. and. Uh, the year before that, the year that he was drafted, uh, you know, his draft year, um, he had 61 game in 61 games. He had a 1.69 GAA and a save percentage of 9.36, which is really good. And something where you're thinking like, well, wait, why did he get drafted in the seventh round? Those are like really good statistics, um, even for the WHL. Um, and then this year he uh, continued more along the same lines. He had a nine, uh, of course, in less games, but mostly because um, the WHL, you know, stopped playing after a while. But yeah, also had a 9.35 save percentage and a 1.88 GAA in 46 games. Um, he did play one game in the World Juniors for USA. He's an American. Um, and uh, but and he didn't do so hot. Uh, he had an 8.50 save percentage and a GAA of three. Um, so I imagine that's a big reason why, or like, just playing internationally may be an issue for him. So I would like to like, especially for goalies, I would like to see what he does in the minors um, before you get really excited for him about him. But as an 18 year old and someone who has like a below two in a GAA and a 930 save percentage, I think this is someone who could be pretty good for the, the Calgary Flames in the future, especially since the Flames have had trouble with goalies, um, not just in recent history, but I think for like their whole franchise history, they've never really, I mean, I guess Mika Kippersoff is pretty much the only goalie that I can think of that's been they good for them. Vernon. Who? They had Mike Vernon. Oh yeah, that's years, true. Years too. back. Yeah, but like just for the most part, it feels like the Flames don't have. I've never really had a solid goaltender other than Mika Kippersoff. Uh, yeah. But, anyways, um, 
Yeah, so I could I, I think because of his size and you know he is a goalie and you don't really know too like goalies are so much wild cards especially for prospects that you don't really know how good he's going to be but um, he does look promising uh, I'll tell you that. Yeah, uh, I think the reason why he was a seventh round pick is because he was still living in the shadows of Carter Hart, yeah. and that's kind of tough to do because Carter Hart was just next level good in the WHL like this was a guy that um on two occasions he was named the top goalie in the entire CHL um the best GA in save percentage in the WHL his final two years talking about Carter Hart and he was also one season named top player in the entire WHL the top player or defense top player in general which is very tough to do for a goaltender and he also won gold and silver at the World Juniors for Team Canada. So it's obviously tough for a guy like Dustin Wolf to just enter this perfect situation where um, Everett reels off a pair of 40-win seasons and they're just one of the best in the league simply because they have one of the best goalies that has played in the WHL since, I'd say, Gary Price. Um, and... So that on itself is tough for Dustin Wolf to live up to. So I think his mentality was to just be himself. And in Carter Hart's final season, Wolf uh, played 20 games with the Silver Tips. He went 13, 6 and 0. His save percentage was 9.28 then, GAA of 2.25, and he got four shutouts. So um, he he was able to, I guess, maybe pick Carter Hart's brain a little bit and maybe learn from him, get a couple of pointers here and there. Because Carter Hart went through a lot in his junior career that I think probably helped Dustin Wolf um, when it was his turn to be the guy. Um, like you said, top goalie in GAA in 2018-19, top goalie in save percentage. Um, no one was able to match his 41 wins. Uh, the only guy who had more shutouts than him was Ian Scott. Um, and it was only by one. I believe Dustin Wolf had seven shutouts that year. Um, played the most minutes of any goalie, faced the six most shots, um, fifth in saves, and got a lot of accolades as a result of it. And in the playoffs, only played 10 games. The playoff run didn't last that long, but GAA just above two, and he was a respectable five and five. So a very good first year. It was enough for the Flames to say, you know, we got nothing to lose. Seventh round picks, you know, how often yeah. do they turn into something? Let's take a chance on this guy. If he was up for the NHL draft this year, I don't want to say he would be like a first or a second round pick like Carter Hart was, but I would think maybe in the third or the fourth round you would be taken for sure. Um, and then you get to this year where he plays 46 WHL games, um, even played for Team USA at the 2020 World Juniors as well. Um, his average shots per game in the WHL actually went up. It was 26.1 in 2018-19. This year was 28.6. Still got 34 wins. Um, led the league in shutouts with nine. Only Joel Hofer was able to match his 34 wins. Um, once again, first in GAA, first in save percentage. Uh, top 10 in shots, saves, minutes played. Another fantastic year. Um, so I I can definitely see the hype behind this kid. You're right, size is definitely a concern. And I think it also 
kind of fuels more of the competition between the pipes as well. Um, at this point, he's not signed by the Flames um, because I think it has to do with the fact that you have John Gillies, who we'll also talk about. You have uh, Tyler Parsons, who has spent a bit of time in the ACHL as well as the yeah. AHL. Neither have really kind of taken the reins as the future of the Calgary Flames in the crease. Yep. And you could argue David Riddick hasn't done that in the NHL. He's shown signs that he can, but not consistently. Sure. So I think bringing in Dustin Wolf kind of signals that one of Gillies and Parsons is on, on their way out, or they bring him in to say, hey, we got this kid looking really good in the WHL. If you're not going to take his spot, he'll take yours. So yeah. Um, I think there's I think that also kind of fuels um, a healthy competitive fire with with all the goalies they have in their system um, by by drafting a guy that yeah in the seventh round but put up pretty good numbers in the WHL and then the season after picked up right where he left off yeah for sure and yeah we didn't even uh, it's it's interesting that you mentioned both I mean I guess it makes sense that you're but you're mentioning Gillies and Parsons because we're about to talk about Gillies in a second um but i guess it is good time to talk about calgary's goalies right now where cam talbot's going to be ufa uh this off season david riddick's going to be a ufa in two years um or in the next year after that so i guess in one year um and then you have uh, John Gillies in the AHL, you have Parsons in the ECHL, and then you have Dustin Wolf in the WHL. By the way, all three of those guys are American, um, so that's that's kind of cool. Um, but um, I decided I was thinking we could talk about Gillies and Parsons, but I I think I would I was going to rather talk about the one that had most likely to make an impact right away, um, and that appears to me to be John Gillies. Mostly because he is a little bit older and he is in the AHL, uh, whereas Parsons in the ECHL and he may take a couple more years to get ready um, in the AHL. So uh, we're going to talk about John Gillies now. Um, he uh, he's been it feels like he's been in the AHL for quite some time, um, and with varying success. So like this year, he played in 30 games. Um, and he had a 2.69 GA and a 9.07 save percentage. But then the year before that, for Stockton, he had, in 45 games, he had a 3.5 GAA and a save percentage of not, uh, 8.89. So that's not good. Um, and then the year before that, uh, for Stockton, he had a 9.17 save percentage and a 2.53 GAA in 39 games. Um, and then he played some games for Calgary with a 2.88 uh, GAA and a save percentage of 8.96. So he's taken a little bit longer to get uh, acclimated, um, and he's kind of like hit or miss. It feels like so he may be an average goaltender um, once he if he's ever called up and a uh, starter uh, full time for them. But he does have the best shot for them immediately. Um, I know we said like in terms of impacts in the next three years, three to five years, uh, Gillies, um, 
will be, you know, he's most likely to be in the league uh, even next year, uh, considering that Parsons um, is slightly younger and all that stuff. But um, I don't know how good he can be. It's tough to project for the goalies um, in that sense. But, you know, he could be, he could be decent, I would imagine. Um, tough to really say. Yeah, it, like you said, goalies are a really tough breed to evaluate because, like, you know, it's one thing to put up, like, good numbers, but it's another to do it consistently at good levels. And, you know, you're playing in front of a lot of very different teams. You could be playing on the best. You could be middle-of-the-pack team, one of the worst in the league where you're facing, like, 35, 36 shots a night. Like, how do you respond to all of that? and your work ethic and your mobility and your size. It, there are so many factors that can determine how good or how great a goalie can be. And in John Gillies's case, his size helps him. He's around 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. That's Ben Bishop tall. Um, and at the collegiate level with Providence College and the NCAA, um, he looked like one of the best goalies on the planet. In three years, his GAA never rose to 2.2 at the end of the season. Um, his save percentage was around 9.30, 9.31 all the time. And he got a lot of accolades as a result of that. As a rookie, he was uh, hockey's first all-star player. Um, rookie of the year for the entire NCAA, not just hockey's, the entire NCAA. Yeah. Um, he was an NCAA championship winner in 2014-15, tournament MVP as well, uh, hockey's goalie of the year too. Um, so heading into the AHL, um, obviously the hope was that John Gillies was going to get better and better. And you know, it, in his first seven games with AHL Stockton, it looked pretty promising. His save percentage was 920, his GA was 2.31, pretty good. But then 2016-17 rolls around, GAA goes up to 2.93, respectable 9-10 save percentage in 39 games, but the GA going up is, is pretty odd. Um, faced an average of 30 shots per game, so I guess it's a, a little bit, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of an explanation as to why uh, the GA was that high when you faced that many shots. Um, and in three playoff games, he even had a 9.15 C percentage, so it wasn't that bad. Um, but then as kind of like the season goes on where he's kind of facing the same workload, like he's, he's around top 10 in shots faced, and the numbers still aren't dominating and he's not piling up on the wins. It's around that point where you kind of get a little bit concerned. It's just like, okay, you maybe maybe he's not the answer for Calgary after all. And at the end of the season, what's going to be interesting to know, he's a Group 6 UFA. In January, turned 26 years old. Um, they're going to have to make a decision with him. Tyler Parsons, while he hasn't been playing in the AHL as often, likely because John Gillies has, and even in the ECHL, Parsons' numbers haven't been that great. He's 22 years old. So um, he hasn't really gotten the chances to excel that Gillies has. Maybe if Gillies goes elsewhere and they put Parsons in the net consistently, maybe that's when he takes off. Because Parsons, in his own right, 
had some very good seasons with London. He showed in the playoffs that he can be one of those goalies that can take a team far. And it, it's just one of those situations sometimes where in order for a goalie to be the best at his craft, he needs to play more. He needs to face that puck a lot more than being on the bench. And maybe that's part of the reason why Parsons has struggled. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, maybe it's because of the competition or something. Uh, I was wondering that too. It's like, I wonder if the fact that they did draft Parsons and they did draft Dustin Wolf, if that has an effect on his uh, performance and stuff. But I don't know. Yeah, that, that's good. So our next guy is, I'm going to butcher this name, um, I already know it, uh, is Dimitri Zavagorni here. Um, of course, my computer is now not working. Um, so he, uh, he had 42, uh, 40 points. Oh, that's not right. Sorry. Uh, he had 67 points in 40 games. Uh, this year in Ramuski, um, he is uh, five. He's another like Jacob Peltier. He's also five nine and one seventy four pounds. Um, and uh, the year before that, he had sixty four points in sixty seven games. So already you can mention that like he's had. You know he he already beat the career totals that he had previously um, beforehand without um you know with playing with like 27 less games um than the year before that um yep. of course he played for Ramowski which is where Alexis Lafreniere is here um so that is something you have to consider in terms of like what kind of um you know if it's the Lafreniere effect or not um, of course, like there's guys like uh, Alex DeBrincat who played with Connor McDavid in junior, um, and he turned out and he played pretty well in junior. But of course, you know, uh, it would be interesting to see um, how how Zavagardini does without Alexis Lafreniere on the team, um, and uh, he also missed uh, two months. Um, due to a broken collarbone, so he missed two months, and that was around the time of the World Juniors. He is Russian. Uh, he probably would have made the team if that was the case, too. But um, So that would that was a bit unfortunate, but I don't know. In terms of, like, uh, in terms of where he'll go um, in the next couple of years, it's kind of a similar situation to Jacob Peltier. Because the top six or four of the top six are pretty much set uh, for the near future. Um, it's hard to see where he'll go. Um, but yeah, I could see him being in like a second line player or maybe in a bottom six role as well. So um, that could be something interesting for them. Yeah, uh, like you said, um, the size is, is definitely a bit of a question mark. Um, but the, the offensive potential is definitely there for this guy to succeed. Um, 
as we all know about the Ramuski Oceanique, um, Lafreniere and uh, Dimitri were both rookies in 2017-18. Uh, Ramuski was trying to bounce back from an awful season the year prior. They did just that. Uh, Lafreniere had 42 goals and 80 points as a rookie. The Oceanique won 42 games, uh, finished the year with 93 points, uh, third in the Eastern Conference as well. Um, and Ramuski uh, actually won their division as well. Um, Dimitri, in his own right, had a good year. He had 26 goals and 21 assists for 47 points in 62 games. Uh, second in goals, fifth in scoring on the team. Um, what really sticks out to me is two things. Efficient goal score, uh, for one. He had 146 shots, scored on 26 of them, which is a shooting percentage of 17.8, pretty good. Second thing that comes to mind, power play machine. Nine power play goals as a rookie, pretty good. Um, then we go to his second year, 2018-19, where he finishes fourth on the team in shots with 188. His shooting percentage down to just under 15%. Still got 28 goals, though, bit of an improvement compared to his rookie year and while his six power play goals are also a bit of a downgrade it should be noted that Lafreniere, Huntington and Garneau all had at least 10 power play goals and between them had 31 in that season alone. Lafreniere and Garneau were both left wing, Huntington top guy in the faceoff dot so only so many players you can distribute the puck to and I think that kind of took away from Dimitri's chances to like really make a statement and in the playoffs he did pretty well uh four goals four assists in 12 games during Ramuski's run in 2019 he had one goal on 17 shots the year prior so definitely a better showing there then we get to year three which is his breakout season uh 40 games like you said uh shortened due to that collarbone injury and of course everything that's going on right now um but uh Finished one goal shy of 30, six in team scoring with 67 points, took 141 shots. So his shooting percentage was 20 this time, even better than his rookie year. Eight power play goals, four game winners. Um, and again, only played just 40 games. If you add another 25 games onto that, 45 plus goals, definitely possible. 90 points, definitely achievable. 200 shots at least. We're looking at a top 10 player in the league, easy. And before he suffered that collarbone injury, he actually had 43 points in 23 games. Um, a lot of big nights as well. He had a six point game in October. Um, he also had a five point game and two four point games. So like he was really rolling. So if that injury doesn't happen, who knows what his numbers are like. Um, the position standpoint as to where he fits in the flame spread is uh, once again very interesting because um as a rookie he spent a decent amount of time in the dot but didn't even win 50 percent of his face-offs even 45 percent was a bit of a stretch at times he took fewer face-offs in year two even fewer than that in year three still didn't win 50 percent of his draws so if he does break into the league as a center, he's going to need to work on the face-offs, which, again, you need to be in those game situations taking face-offs for that to happen. And from a position standpoint, Ramuski figured hey, he plays better on the wings. He's a better fit there. Let's just put him on the wings and not put him down the middle. So 
that probably also factored into things a little bit. That being said, I like his upside. The fact he can play with elite talent cannot be underestimated. Um, it, it's one thing, you know, if you have a guy like Matt Molson and PA Parento playing on Tavares's line and they're having a big season, but after they don't play on Tavares's line, their numbers aren't the same. This guy can hold his own. He's not dragging the line behind. He's keeping up with the play. He's making the most of his opportunities. Full credit to Dimitri for doing that. That shows that he's a good player and he can play with the lead talent. Not many people can. So that definitely works into his advantage. It's about making that next step, continuing that signs of progression with the Flames. That's going to be the next task for him. Probably going to spend a year or two in the AHL before he gets a crack with the big club. And after that, you know, maybe he becomes a fringe top six, bottom six option. Um, maybe they juggle the lines around so he can fit on the wing a bit more as maybe like a number two guy, either on the left or the right side. Um, there are a lot of unknowns that have, and a lot of questions that have to be answered before we can really tell where he fits in, if he does it all in three years. Right. Um, yeah, that's something i mean i guess it's the same kind of thing with jacob peltier although it looks like peltier has higher upside than uh than Zabar gordon gordon does but we'll see um and then uh lastly we're going to talk about matthias emilio Pedersen. um he's he's a college player um here but he's from norway which is pretty cool so he's a norwegian who uh, played all of his American, um, or all of his hockey in America, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, so for the University of Denver, he had 35 points in 36 games. Um, the year before that, he had 30 points in 40 games, so that's not bad. Um, I guess the World Juniors is kind of different for countries like Norway, because he's like in like a lower group, um, or a lower tier than the World Juniors were used to, but he did play for Norway in the under-20s uh, last year, um, where he had six points in four games, um, which is kind of interesting. And then uh, in the USHL two years ago, he had 46 points in 60 games, um, which is not bad uh, for the USHL. Um, yeah, and we haven't, I mean, we talked about the winger situations for the Calgary Flames. We haven't really talked too much about the centers. Uh, I mean, other than Sean Monaghan and Michael Backlund, um, they don't really have too much, too many else players out there, um, who could be good, good fit for them in the future. Um, both Backlund and Monaghan are signed up long term, so, uh, there is, um, so it's, tough to see where he'll fit but Michael Backlund is 31 years old um, and he still has four years left on his contract so I could conceivably see like maybe uh, Pedersen could be in the you know in the second line um, in a couple years um, if he's good in the AHL next year um, I would imagine he'll sign a an, uh, a, uh, a contract with um, you know, with an ELC with the Flames um, this off season, um, and then he'll be pretty good to go uh, the upcoming years. But um, yeah, uh, 
yeah, I think uh, he could be pretty good though for them, um, especially they they are not great on the center side of things. Yeah, and um, since turning pro with the NCAA, it's 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 actually pretty interesting. Before he joined the NCAA, when he was ten years old, as pointed out by the Athletic, he had this highlight compilation video of his puck handling skills that really caught fire on the interwebs and. At just 15 years of age, he was a commit to the University of Denver. So at 15 years of age, he already knew he was going there. And the speed, the creativity, the overall awareness that's improved since then, the skill has always been there. Um, and if you look at his points per game this past year, 0.81, that ranks him fourth amongst freshmen in NCAA action, uh, ahead of guys like Oliver Wallstrom, who has hype with the Islanders, Blake McLaughlin as well, uh, Ruslan Ishakov. Um, all those guys, in their own right, are pretty good prospects, and he posted better points per game than all three guys. So um, the potential for success with a lot of these guys is, is definitely there for this kid. Um, taking a look at his size, not six feet, a bit higher than... Um, Dimitri and uh, Jacob, who we previously talked about, he's uh, five foot ten, 187 pounds, at least at last check, um, according to um, Cap Friendly, and uh, just turned 20 on April 3rd, so a few days ago, newly turned 20 years old. Um, taking a look at his stats, seems like more of a setup guy, although he did get 13 goals in his second year with Denver. Um, still a guy that predominantly sets up more goals than he scores um so having another playmaker i definitely think would help out uh, the calgary flames also pretty good on the academic side um in both of his first two seasons uh with the university of denver he was named to the nchc academic all-conference team i didn't know that and uh was even a second all-star team member this past year so um the IQ um, is definitely present with his game as well. It's it's definitely great to have all the skills, but like to really see the game um, at ice level, it's not a skill that everyone has. It's very tough to acquire. Sometimes it's one of those God-given abilities um, that not every NHL player has the pleasure of possessing, and he does. So um, I think that could definitely impact his ability to make a statement when he does turn pro and the fact that he doesn't have to make that north american game transition the fact that he's been playing college hockey the fact that he played a couple years at the ushl level um before that definitely helps kind of limit the learning curve that you have in the ahl um because you've already adapted to the north american game so it's just about taking that next step uh, with the Stockton Heat in the AHL and um, showing off whatever skills you have. And I think after a year or two of AHL work, uh, presumably I would think he was going to sign at some point with the Flames. Um, and part of the reason is because he's with the University of Denver right now. Um, I think um, around the three-year mark is when he's going to be knocking on the doorstep of a roster spot. Like you said, the fact that Monaghan and Backlund 
are already committed for multiple years down the road kind of puts a little bit less pressure on Peterson to make a statement um, on Peterson to make a statement right away. Um, And I think when he goes to the AHL, he doesn't have to worry about the possibility of being called up. He can just go out there and play. And I think that's very important for a guy trying to make his mark at such a young age. Yeah, for sure. Um, All right. So now let's go to the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, We're going to start with their cap situation, though. Um, They uh, have, I guess this is a good, like, 2020, 2021s. Uh, off-season preview as well, which is fitting too. <laughs> a little bit. Um, but uh, they uh, they don't have too many UFAs this off-season. Um, they have uh, it's only just Joel Edmondson, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, and Sammy Vatanen, who I forgot they had. Um, and then um, and then they have an RFA of Warren Fogel. Um, next year it could get interesting because you have Andre Sveshnikov who's going to be an RFA yep. and then you have Dougie Hamilton who's going to be UFA um, and then you have both goalies of James Reimer and Peter Morazic as well who are going to be UFAs so that's really where they're kind of like saving their money for Sveshnikov um, Dougie Hamilton and whatever goalies they want um, there but um yeah, so, I mean, relatively speaking, they are in good shape, but they will have to think about uh, how much money they're going to give to Svechnikov and Dougie Hamilton. Anyways, um, our first prospect we're going to talk about for Carolina is they still have a pretty good, like, prospect pool, which is uh, kind of interesting, too. But the first one we're going to talk about is uh, Dominic Bach, um, who is, um, he's in the... Uh, why can't I find him quickly? Sorry, I should have done this first. He's in the <laughs> SHL. Um, he's a German, uh, which is also interesting. Um, and uh, like when you look at his stat page, it's it's not as exciting or it doesn't jump out to you. Uh, in the SHL, he had 17 points in 45 games. But you also have to keep in mind that the Swedish Hockey League, you're playing with a bunch of professional players um, and not just um and he's like at 20 years old yeah so he's a 20 year old um and he did i mean that's not bad so like score like you wouldn't expect scoring to be super high and it's not super high for him but um it's still pretty good for uh someone like him who's playing with a bunch of 30 year olds um so still and he also played in the world juniors for germany um he had eight points in seven games um, and if you remember, he was traded uh, from the Blues to Carolina. I believe it. Do we remember which player it was? Um, Justin Falk. Justin Falk. Right. Okay. That's that's gonna look. Oh yeah, I remember talking about that. And that I was wondering why the Blues did that um, because I felt like Dominic Bach was gonna be a pretty good player, and so far it looks like he will be pretty good. It says here that, uh, according to Elite Prospects, they already have him in a Charlotte Shepherds t- roster next year. Um, so I guess, I guess he's going to the AHL next year, and we'll see how he does. But I am, um, I think he is going to be an interesting prospect for them. Uh, the thing with the Calgary, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, sorry, 
is like their best three players are all wingers. Um, so um, in Sebastian Ajo, um, Tevo Terabainen, and uh, what's his face, uh, Andreas Veshnikov. Um, <laughs> although I guess I guess Sebastian Ajo has played a couple of games in, as as a center, so maybe he's more a center than that. But even still, Tevo Terabainen and Andreas Veshnikov are pretty good wingers for them. Um, and you still have Nino Nitterreiter who has his moments, Ryan Dezingle who also has his moments too, and Martin Nikash who you mentioned briefly before um, as well who could make some noise. But I don't know, uh, Dominic Bach um, could definitely, I mean I think he still needs some developing and I would like to see what he does in the AHL before um, I get too excited about him. But um, it is certainly promising what he was able to do in the SHL. Yeah, and I definitely think uh, things are only going to get better for Dominic Bach. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be like Leon Dreisel where he leads the league in scoring someday, but uh, definitely has the potential uh, to be a pretty good player. And again, the only reason why the Blues traded him was because they thought they were getting a pivotal piece uh, to add their to add, to add to their blue line depth in Justin Falk. Um, you know, they obviously thought very highly of him because they drafted him in the first round. Um, that being said, um, the North American game is something that Bach is going to have to get used to. Um, it definitely helps uh, playing in a league amongst men, not just, you know, teenagers. Um, that... Um, you know, it's it's not one of those situations where Dominic Bach was like really dominating. He he did get eleven goals in forty one in forty five games this year, um, but only six assists, so that gave him like not even twenty points on the year. So um, again, not eye popping numbers, but in the SHL, you're pretty much uh, you you just turned twenty on February third, so you've been playing a lot of that time as a teenager, it's still a feeling out process. So now you're going to go into the AHL likely next year. You're probably going to get another year or two to develop. And the good news is, like you said, Carolina's pretty strong on the wings, like it is with um, some of the Flames' future prospects uh, down the middle. You're not expected to make the team right away, so you just have – enough time to just go out there, learn the game, play hockey, get your confidence up in the minors, which I think is going to help uh, Bach immensely uh, when he does make that decision. And he can play the left side or the right side, so it offers a bit of versatility um, to Carolina in that regard. Um, that being said, um, like the Calgary Flames, the Carolina Hurricanes have a lot of options. Uh, and I'll put this in perspective by saying they had Julian Gauthier, who was on track to score like 30 goals in the AHL this year, who was a former first-round pick. He got traded. They had Yanni Kukunen, who yeah. posted, I think, 42 points in 52 games. He got traded. They still have a lot of depth at forwards as it is right now yeah on top of that luke henman jameson reese blake murray jack drury a couple of other guys um that could have an nhl future all those guys haven't been signed yet 
So a couple of those guys will get signed and that'll push out some of the other AHL talents they already have. So it's basically feast or famine right now because they have so much options to work with, whether it's unsigned prospects or prospects they already have in the system. So it's still a lot of healthy competition for Dominic Bach, not just once he gets a chance to compete for an NHL spot with this team, but even in the minor leagues, it's going to be tough because there are a lot of players that want to prove to their organization, hey, I've got what it takes. Put me in the lineup. Watch me go. So um, it's still going to be um, a tall order for Dominic Bach to make an impact on this Carolina Hurricanes team. But he he definitely has the skills and the tools to be an impact player for them. It's just a matter of where he fits into their top six or their bottom six when he gets there. And can he turn his NHL opportunity into a top six role once he gets there? Because in a a couple of years, their group of prospects, um, their group of everyday NHLers is going to look a bit different as the contracts wind down. But you're still going to have guys like Sveshnikov in the picture, guys like Sebastian Ajo in the picture, and those, uh, Terabainen as well, those are the guys that are going to be getting the top six minutes. Does he have what it takes to join that group? And also Vincent Trocek now as well, which is something. Yeah, I think he. I think he's got another two or three years after yeah, he this has year. Yeah, he has two years after yeah. this year. So after this uh, year yeah um yeah and, and by the way i was just checking uh sebastian aho is a center um i uh i had somehow thought he was a winger for some reason <laughs> um well, he's a swiss army knife he can do just about yeah. anything he can he can probably play defense for all we know <laughs> yeah by the way it's a big pet peeve of mine too i noticed you said former first rounder it's like you're still a first rounder, even though. Yeah, he's uh, still got picked in the first round. Yeah, he's still I just a hate. Good player. I just hate when people say former first rounder, like it's like they 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 aren't a first rounder now. But <laughs> it's like yeah, you're forever going to be a first rounder. But yeah, okay. yeah, forever a first rounder. Speaking of forever first rounders, um, also a top five pick, Nino Nina Ryder is also yeah. playing on the wings. True, that's true. And and he had a pretty good um, spread of 30 to 40 games with the Hurricanes after the trade out of Minnesota last year. So he's Buddy. still got some pop in his game. When he's going, he can produce. Yeah. So um, Box got him to contend with as well. Yeah, true. Although Nino didn't have a great year. And I see that he's on no, the fourth. <laughs> on, I'm, I'm looking at their daily face-off line right now, and he had he's on their fourth line right now. So yeah, I don't know if he... Uh, We'll see if he can bounce back. Anyways, um, the uh, the second prospect we're going to talk about for the Hurricanes is uh, Jake Bean. Um, we were talking about the abundance of wingers that the Hurricanes have. Well, first, let me talk about Jake Bean, and then we'll talk about <laughs> um, I got excited there. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, for the Charlotte Checkers, uh, Jake Bean... Um, played uh in 59 games he had 48 points which isn't bad obviously um and then the year before that in 70 games for the charlotte checkers he played it uh, he got 44 points in 70 games so that's big improvement uh when you think of it uh from year to year uh he's only played two games for carolina and hasn't gotten a point yet 
which takes me to um, he was also a former first rounder. I'm sorry, no, he was uh, he was drafted in the first round in 2016, 13th overall. I believe it was just ahead of Charlie McAvoy, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and uh, he, uh, but anyways, just in terms of like the abundance of players, like Carolina has a lot of good defensemen out there. Uh, they have Jacob Slavin, Dougie Hamilton, Sammy Vadanen when they're healthy, Brett Pesci also when, when he's healthy. Uh, they just got Brady Shea. Uh, for a long term, they got Jake Garner over last season. Um, they also had, I mean, Joel Edmondson and Trevor Van Riemsdyk are going to be UFAs next year. So um, this is one of those players that Jake Bean has been pretty good in the AHL. And I wonder when we'll see him up. But like at the same time, I'm trying to think of like who will he replace um, when the time comes. Um, I guess it would make sense to like. Uh, bring a, like, because Sammy Vannon's going to be a UFA, I think they could probably afford to put in Jake Bean. Um, there would be, like, six players after that, but, um, so I could see him maybe being, like, a third pair next season, and then he, if he's good enough, then they, like, promote him to, like, the second pair, and then maybe to the first pair if he's good enough or something like that, but, um, yeah, it's, I. Uh, it does look like he has been pretty good in the AHL. Um, I'm sure you're going to talk about his time in the WHL as well, which he was also pretty good for at that as well. Oh, I definitely will talk about his time in the WHL. Um, and you know, I think I'm going to explain in a bit why I think actually he could have a bigger role than people think. Uh, but first we'll start his time in the WHL and as a rookie, uh, just um, one point shy of 40, he had uh, 39 points as a rookie. And um, that was when uh, Travis Sanheim was still playing with the Calgary Hitmen. Uh, he was uh, their leader in defensive scoring, I believe. He also led the entire WHL in defensive scoring. Um, but still in his own right, Jake Bean was, uh, was pretty good. Uh, the Hitmen were a 40-win hockey club. They had 45 wins. Um, the year after, they were still a 41 hockey club, um, not nearly as strong, but Sandheim was still there, still posted 60-plus points. Uh, Jake Bean really elevated his game that year, though. He had um, 24 goals and 40 assists, um, so he led the league in goals that year. Um, he finished in the top 15 for assists. Um, six most points by a defender, and he had 32 power play points as well. Sandheim had 34, so just a few more than Bean did. Um, then you go into 2016-17. The point projection kind of dips a little bit, but he only played in 43 games, and he got 45 points. So he was a point-per-game player that year. First time he had done that in the WHL after a full season. Um, and he also had time to represent Team Canada at the 2017 World Juniors. He recorded two assists in seven games, won a silver medal there. Uh, then we go to his final year in 2017-18. Didn't finish it with the Calgary Hitman, though, because he was traded to Tri-City midseason. Um, the Hitman really regressed. They had 24 wins, missed the playoffs entirely. 
Um, Tri-City, meantime, won 38 games. Um, and, and on the season overall, Bean had 12 goals and 36 assists for a total of 48 points in 57 games. Uh, top 15 blue liners in scoring. He had 181 shots as well. That placed him just outside of the top 10 in that same group. Um, before the trade, he had 27 points in 25 games with Calgary, 21 points in 32 games with Tri-City. Then he goes into the playoffs and really makes a statement. Um, I believe he had a goal and 17 assists in 14 games um, and played a pivotal role in the Americans' run to the conference finals. So normally... When you have a good season in the WHL, especially for a defenseman, the results often don't come your way as easily when you go to the AHL or the NHL. Um, so I was kind of thinking, okay, maybe Jake Bean would have like you know, 25 to 30 points. That would be a good first impression. No, right off the bat, Jake Bean has a 40-point season. His first year in the AHL, he has 13 goals, 31 assists, and 44 points in 70 games. Uh, top 10 in shots on goal with 165. Top 10 in goals by defenders. Uh, and then he puts up 28 points in 30 games. Charlotte wins the AHL title, largely because of his influence on the back end. Uh, this year, Charlotte's back end continues to be good. Um, they had Chase Prisky who was traded to Florida in the Trocheck deal. He had 31 points. Um, they got Joey Keane in a trade with uh, the New York Rangers. I believe Goche was shipped to that um, uh, to the Rangers in that trade. And uh, Keane had 37 total points between Charlotte and Hartford, including seven and nine with the Checkers. Jake Bean led all Checkers rear guards and points with 48, 10 goals, 38 assists in 59 games. No other defenseman had more points than him. Um, there are only two other players that surpassed him or equaled his total in assists. Uh, tied for fourth in goal by HL defenseman, eighth in shots on goal with 142, and he was named to the HL All-Star game. So in two AHL seasons, he has had two 40-plus point performances. I really think Jake Bean is going to be a very good NHL player. And as much as I hope Dougie Hamilton stays there, if they give Jake Bean a chance to excel in the NHL, maybe they're content with walking away from Dougie Hamilton and just giving Jake Bean a top four role. Uh, mm. The thing is with Carolina is they got a lot of depth on both the left side and the right side defensively where they could afford to part ways with Dougie Hamilton if they wanted to. Yeah, the thing with Dougie Hamilton is that he's he had before he got injured, he was he was doing pretty well for for the. Yeah, and that's Carolina the problem. Kids. Yeah, Dougie is playing his best hockey. Yeah, so I don't know if they necessarily could afford to get rid of him because he is by far their best offensive defenseman. But I I do see what you're saying. Maybe it could be someone like Jake Beans just waiting there in the wings, kind of like a Wierenski and Seth Jones type situation or something like that. Yeah. Um, exactly. All right, let's talk about uh, 
the Hurricanes one weak spot it seems like on their team um, is uh, I guess they're maybe a center I guess another center for them would be a weak spot too but um, they um, no no they have Trocek and Ajo anyways uh, a weak spot for the Hurricanes are their their goalie situation because uh, you have James Reimer and Peter Morazic uh, for another year um, and then they're both UFAs um, and neither one hasn't really stood on their head or has made like would make the impact for them as well but then you have a guy like Alex Ndelkovic, um who actually hasn't been too bad um, in the minors um, for for uh, for them um, in the AHL so this year he uh, he played for the Charlotte Checkers uh, for the most part he had uh, in 29 games he had a 2.49 GAA and a 906 save percentage uh, the year before that uh, for the Charlotte Checkers he played in 51 games and he had a 2.26 GAA and a save percentage of 916 um, and then uh, the year before that he had uh, he had a 2.55 GAA and a 903 save percentage in 49 games um, he's only played in five uh, NHL games for the Hurricanes. Um, this year, uh, he did not look that great. Um, he had a 3.05 GAA and a save percentage, and a save percentage of 8.87 um, in four games. Um, and then the year before that, he only played in one game where he let in two goals and 9.23 save percentage. Um, you know, so obviously, like four game, five games is a small sample size, but I still think there is a chance for him to uh, actually do well um, in the NHL if given time. Um, especially considering like Carolina's defensive core is one of the best in the league, um, and I feel like they could, like he could be helped a lot by that. Um, kind of reminds me a bit like the Blues before Jordan Bennington kind of took over where they're a good team they just need the goalie um and Alex Nedeljkovic I'm gonna call it now I think Alex Nedeljkovic could be the goalie for them and it could make the difference for them in the playoffs um when when that happens but like I could see like him just going on an absolute run in like January of next year or something um and then just taking over as the starter there um, and which would work out well for them because Reimer and Mrazek are both, um, you know, going to be UFAs the next year. So I could see it's something happening where like either Reimer or Mrazek get injured and then Nedeljkovic plays too well and uh, suddenly um, takes over um, and becomes the starter for them. Um, like, kind of like an Elvis Merzilkins type situation, too. Yeah, and he's got the pedigree of a Merzilkins and Bennington, and when he started in the OHL, oddly enough, Bennington was still in the OHL, so is Garrett Sparks. Yeah. That's how long ago it was. Um, but it doesn't seem that long ago. It was 2012-2013. Uh, the Plymouth Whalers hadn't become the Flynn Firebirds yet. So he started off his career there, appeared in 26 regular season games, 19-2-1 record. He was pretty good there. Uh, his GA was 2.28, save percentage 923. 
Then he takes control in the playoffs, plays in 15 playoff games, goes 9-5. and five. Um, Unfortunately, the London Knights, as they typically do, ruin their dreams, and um, they're out in five games. But that London team was very, very talented. They had a lot of good players there. And um, Nedeljkovic did his part. It was kind of like a 1A, 1B goaltending system there. There wasn't like a clear-cut number one. And as a rookie, he just took the ball and ran with it. And he was the guy for the Whalers' playoff run and uh, got them to the Western Conference Finals. So right off the bat, he really impressed. Then you go to 2013-14 and 2014-15. This is where a guy with an unforgettable last name puts up an unforgettable resume. In 2013-14, Brett, he played in 61 games, third most amongst goalies, played the fourth most minutes, faced over 2,200 shots, and was one of two netminders to make at least 2,000 saves. 925 save percentage. His record, 26-27-7, GAA was 2.8. And the reason behind that is simple. The Whalers relied on this guy every single game. The dude faced like 36 shots on average every start. And he gave them everything he had. And uh, he also played for Team USA at the under-18s. Um, won gold with them. Was OHL Goalie of the Year. Um, first All-Star team member as well. Just absolutely solid. Then we go to 2014-15, where he plays in 55 games, six fewer than the previous year. Still played the fourth most games, played over 3,000 minutes, six shots away from another 2,000 shot campaign, most in the league, and also leads the league in saves with over 1,800. 20-28-7 record, GAA was 3.17. Save percentage of 9-16. So again, basing like 36 shots a game, doing all he can to keep his team in it. His team doesn't make the playoffs, but he was a top five goaltender easy in the OHL just because of the workload and how he was able to keep his team in games. Uh, his last OHL campaign started off in Flint. He went 9-7-2 and with the Firebirds with the GAA of 3.21, decent save percentage of 9.07, traded to Niagara where the save percentage doesn't improve it's actually still at 907 2.72 GAA only 15 13 and 2 they go into the playoffs though they go all the way to the OHL finals and once again the London Knights ruin everything but they go to the OHL finals and he wins 12 games for them in that in uh, that playoff run um 2016 World Juniors he plays in that 943 save percentage, 1.66 goals against, one of the team's top three players, ends up getting a bronze medal out of it. Pretty good season for Nadalkovich. A little bit of a tough transition in 2016-17 to the AHL. 2017-18, a little bit better. Um, Gets 31 wins and 49 starts with the Checkers. 2.55 GAA, five shutouts put him in a tie for third in the league. He faced the seventh most shots in the league, an average of 24.3 per game, not nearly as much in the OHL, but still pretty good. Um, And in the 2018 playoffs, 
eight games, 2.11 GAA, 99 save percentage, definitely something to build on. The next year, 2018-19, gets 34 wins, GAA under 2.3 to lead the league. First team All-Star, top goalie honors, uh, faced the eighth most shots in the AHL, 9-16 save percentage in the top 10 there. And then you go to the Calder Cup Finals, you win the whole thing uh, in 15 games. And um, he was pretty decent in the AHL this year, but the hype around this kid um, that's been building for almost 10 years now. I definitely think based on the playoff runs, based on his ability to really steal games for his team, I definitely think the stars are aligning for Nedeljkovic to be their goalie of the future. Um, I don't know how soon it's going to be, and maybe they get some veteran help when all the free agent goalies are available to make five an extra year or two. Um, but I think everything's there for Nedeljkovic to really be the future of this franchise. Uh, so I just realized we're past the two-hour mark, so... Uh, we have to go <laughs> go quickly here for the next two prospects. Yeah, we'll, we'll run by the West real quick, but uh, yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah. So what we're saying is Nedeljkovic is basically going to be the next Dominic Hasha. Um. So yeah, I can I can well I concur that at the very least he is the future starting goalie of the Hurricanes at yeah. the very least. Okay. Um. So the next guy we're going to talk about is Morgan Geeky. Um, he, uh, you know, he played pretty well in Charlotte uh, the last two years. He was also on the Tri-City Americans with Jake Bean as well. Um, but uh, he had, uh, so this year he had 42 points in 55 games for the Charlotte Checkers. The year before that he had 46 points in 73 games. So he's already, he was close to beating his total there. The main reason why we were we put him up here though is when he um he was called up in March um in March 8th he had 3 points um against the Pittsburgh Penguins two of those were goals um and then the next game he had um he had a goal against the Detroit Red Wings um and and then uh hockey got suspended so uh, we don't know what he would have done, but he was well on his way to like having a very hot start. Um, whenever I see like these players get like a hot start who we kind of never have heard of beforehand, um, I, I'm always wary of that type of situation because I would like to see more consistency of that. Like I think of uh, Alex Chieson. I remember uh, when he had his rookie year against in the Dallas Stars. Like he had like seven points in eight games or something like that. Yeah. And I just Andrew Hammond, never forget. Andrew Hammond's never another forget one. the Hamburglar. Yeah, so and then like and then we never hear about them again. So um although I guess Chieson, he had a stint with Edmonton or whatever. But anyways, back to Morgan Geeky. It's it's tough to like I would like to see <laughs> um more out of him before I call him like the greatest player to ever live type of situation. But um, so far, it is pretty good, and like looking at his AHL numbers, like he could be a decent player. Um, and again, like we don't know what, like you know, the Hurricanes have an interesting wingers, or they have a lot of wingers that um, 
could be good for them, especially Sveshnikov and Teravainen. Um, so, uh, so it's but like other than those two, it's pretty much everyone else is up to the taking or could use some competition. Um, so, and Morgan Gigi could be that guy. So um, maybe he'll be a top six guy, but um, you could also I could also see him being on like a bottom six line as well, and just occasionally putting up points when need be. They need to have all of their wingers eat chicken wings after a Canes win. That needs to be the next storm surge. Okay. It's a very obscure idea, but I would totally <laughs> love to see it. Yeah, that's for yeah, sure. That'd be pretty good. Um, so didn't really take off in the WHL as a rookie. 25 points, 12 goals over 66 games. Pretty decent. 2016-17 comes around, and he just explodes. Yep. Uh, 35 goals on the season, 14 with the power play. So very, very good on the power play. Also had 55 helpers, so that's a total of 90 points in 72 games. Goals and assists, uh, top 20 in the WHL, top 10 in total points. Um, also pretty efficient uh, goal score, which I will get to um, when we get to his AHL numbers and even his NHL numbers too. Uh, we go to 2017-18, where he gets to Another 30 goals, another 54 assists, uh, top 25 score with 84 points, another 30-plus on the power play, even though he only scored um, eight power play goals, six fewer than the previous year. But um, Tri-City had a lot of good talent, as you know. There were actually um, three skaters on their team with at least 245 shots. Morgan Geeky was one of them, tied for the team lead. Um and his shooting percentage in 14 games uh, in the 2018 playoffs. Like, his shooting percentage was insane. So, in the 2018 playoffs, he ranked 10th in shots on goal with 64. First in goals with 17. You would think, oh, you know, his team might have gone pretty far. No, they only played 14 games. So, he averaged over a goal per game. His shooting percentage was over 25. That's pretty ridiculous. So then his first year in the AHL, one goal shy of 20, 46 points in 73 games, pretty respectable. Um, and uh, he was the second leading point scorer amongst Checkers rookies, only Martin Akash had more points. Um, and like I said, pretty efficient. 19 goals on 93 shots. So again, over 20% in terms of shooting success, despite ranking 13th on the team in shots. So you rank 13th on the team in shots, you get 19 goals, shooting percentage of 20%. Again, you're making the most of your opportunities. That's what you want to see if you're a coach at any level. And that efficiency continues in the playoffs when he gets eight goals on just 32 shots in 19 contests. So that's a shooting percentage of 25 on the nose. And the only guy with more goals than him on that roster was Andrew Kordorowski, who I believe eventually won Calder Cup MVP honors. So then we get to this year, more progress for Geeky, one of three 20 goal scorers on Charlotte, 22 goals in 55 games, 42 points, third ranked on the team. Shot tolls also went up to 129. Shooting percentage, not nearly as insane, but currently sits at 17%, still pretty efficient. Also has eight power play goals for uh, a spot on the team that I believe is number one, tied with number one, near the top twenty in the in the AHL, which is pretty good. Yep. 
Then we go to, you mentioned those two NHL games. That two-goal, one-performance against Pittsburgh only took two shots. I don't think he even played 11 minutes in that game. So he was two for two in terms of shots on goal. That's pretty good. Plays against Detroit two nights later. Again, it's Detroit, but still an NHL team. Scores once on two shots. Doesn't even play 15 minutes that game. So not even on like the top two lines, not even playing 15 minutes a game. And he's got three goals in two games on four shots. Pretty good first impression for Morgan Geeky. If he continues that pace, he will be a top six player. I don't know when, but at some point he will be. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, we do have to get going. I, don't, I would love to talk more about this. But <laughs> we do have to get going. Carolina's got a lot of talent. Yeah, I think we've established that. Yeah, and that does transition to the next guy we're going to talk about because yep. uh, Carolina, there was like for the, the last guy we were going to talk about, I was trying to figure out like Ryan Suzuki has been good, Jamison Reese has been good, uh, Patrick Puestella, who are, uh, has also been good too. Um, yep. And they were all, um, you know, late round picks last year um, in the 2019 draft. Um, I'm deciding to go with Ryan Suzuki because he probably has the biggest, the most potential out of those three guys. But um, I thought it was worth noting Jamison Reese and Patrick Puosola has also been good. Also, Jack Drury of Harvard and David Cotton, um, who I've watched a lot of games at in uh, BC, could also be pretty good in the near future, too. But anyways, uh, let's talk about Ryan Suzuki here. Um, in the OHL, uh, he uh, he played for the Barry Colts um, for 21 games, um, and he had 23 points there. And then he got traded to uh, Saginaw, um, and he had 35 points in 23 games. So in total, that's 58 points in 44 games. Um, and so that's pretty good, obviously. Um, he's only 18 years old, uh, which is pr- uh, pretty nice. Um, and then last year he had 75 points for in 65 games for the Barry Colts, um, and something like that. Uh, his brother is Nick Suzuki, who's uh, you know in Montreal, who's doing pretty well there. But um, yeah, I think it's uh, because he's only 18 years old, and it's and as we've talked about before the i oh i guess he is a center too so but like even still like aho and trocek are pretty much going to be the top two centers there for the time being uh there's no real rush to put him into the lineup um but uh yeah he's he could still be a pretty good player for them um when the time comes but i don't know if we'll see him in three years uh, maybe in three years actually but um, probably not uh, soon, though. At that point, he'll probably be, like, knocking on the doorstep. Yeah. Like, making a name for himself in the minor leagues and just like, hey, I'm here, I'm waiting, waiting right. for my chance. Something like Everyone that, Everyone yeah. be ready. So, um, yeah, I definitely think um, there is potential for Ryan Suzuki. Um, his rookie season in the OHL, the Barry Colts, had a very strong roster. He was eighth in team scoring with 44 points. Only 14 goals in 64 games, but he only had 86 shots, the 13th most on the Colts, so his shooting percentage was 16.2. That's pretty good. Um, Faceoffs needed some work, though. Only prevailed 
86.6% of the time. He was in the dot. That was 251 times. Um, granted, that was six on the Colts. So, you know, he wasn't going up against, like, the best on best. Uh, wasn't getting enough chances to, like, really hone his skills, as most rookies are, you know, in that situation. Still something that kind of lingered into his second year where he was the leading scorer on a Barry team that really struggled to generate much of anything offensively. He had 75 points in his second year with the team, 50 assists as well. One of 23 OHLers to record that many assists. Um, he was also fourth on the team in shots on goal with 152. So his shooting percentage, 16.4, still pretty good. Um, almost took a thousand draws, but again, his face-off percentage was even lower, actually, uh, just like under 1% lower, 45.8. Um, so the question going into year three was, okay, we know he's got the offense, but can he win face-offs? And to his credit, he was over 54% on the dot before the trade to Saginaw, and he was still at that pace after the trade to Saginaw was made. Um, when he was with Barry this year, the majority of his points came on the power play. That changed when he went to Saginaw, when he was surrounded with guys like Damian Drew, Cole Kosky, Cole Perfetti, who a lot of people know about. So I definitely think the offense is there and he could do some damage when he gets to the AHL and the NHL. Um, it's going to be the two-way game. It's going to be the work ethic. It's going to be his ability to win face-offs. So those are the three things I'm focused on when it comes to Ryan Suzuki. Right. Yeah. So, well, it's something to keep in mind for in the in the long term. But, yep. yeah, uh, for sure. All right. Uh, that about does it for us. Um, I mean, I guess the good news about keeping these pretty long is that, you know, we, no one else has anything else to do so um, yeah you know and you get to learn a bit more time. about the prospects than you did before so exactly so um go. so there's something for that um but yeah uh you can catch us on lace them up on our uh lace them up our facebook is, is that's our facebook our twitter is lace up podcast our uh um, you know, our SoundCloud is the Lace Them Up, our iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on all those platforms. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 214 of the Lace Them Up podcast. And stay safe.